wild courage exists to galvanize a generation of men. The tools and courage to fight for what matters most. And tell the stories that are born in the redemption of lives and souls. Hey guys, welcome back or to the Wild Courage Podcast. I read a quote the other day that said, if you stay married for a long time, over the course of your relationship, it'll be like being married to three or four different people as we all evolve and grow. So today, my brother, Justin Stumball, and I from the Connected Life Podcast have a conversation about what that looks like. As we go on this journey, the narrow path we like to call it, what what happens when you're on the path and maybe your spouse doesn't want to join you on it and some of the things that come up in that way. So we're going to just jump right into that conversation. Thanks for checking it out. Justin, do you, I'll, one of my biggest takeaways from our first encounter when we started doing counseling with you, Mary and I, was the first day I was kind of nervous, right? Cause you and I had some reps in, but when you, when we decided to like come spend time with you, you said to me, I don't even know if you remember this. You said, Hey, get a pen and a piece of paper. You want to write this down? And I was like, Oh dang, this wow. is a different experience than I've had from you. Cause normally it's <laughs> just us visiting. Right. And you helped yeah. me navigate some things. And I was like, Oh crap. Okay. So I went over to my desk and got a pen and paper and I was like, all right. And I'm super dyslexic and nervous about writing and remember reading my own handwriting and all this. So I'm, ex- I'm waiting for this big dialogue, right? Of this profound thing you're about to tell me. This was like right off the bat. There was no, how are you doing? You just said, get a pen and a paper. And you said to me, write this down. Mary is not my problem. I'm my own effing problem. And I was <laughs> devastated because for once in all of our years of counseling, it had always been my fault. Right. And so I was just like, gosh, dang, here we go again. And I remember Mary Mm -hmm. asking me, so how'd it go? And I'm like, look what he, and I showed her, look what he told me to write down. And she could not help but smile like, oh, this is our guy. (laughs) This is our guy. And so I was, what was happening was I would meet with you on a Tuesday. And then the next week, Mary would meet with you. And then on the third week, we would both meet with you. That's the arrangement we had, yeah, which was beautiful. Uh-huh. And I remember um, the next week, her coming out of my office and I was standing there waiting to see how it went. And she just looked at me and shook her head and, and you had told her the exact same thing. And she was pissed. <laughs> she had never had anybody tell her that it was her, that it wasn't, I wasn't her problem, that she was her own effing problem. <laughs> I know. I love it. Like so many people feel so angry and offended in relationships when they when they hear that they are their own problem because we have such a case that we build against each other. Um, you know, just based on the idea that that we can see all of these pain points that someone else has done and and legitimate pain points. Like we have legitimate pain points with our partners, and you know. Mary for years could look at it and be like, well, he's an alcoholic and he's done all of these, these things and what, whatever it is that stressed out the relationship and to hear I am my own problem that makes them, makes a person feel like you're telling me that my, my partner doesn't have any problems whatsoever and that my partner has affected me at all. And really in that statement, it's funny because it's like, this statement is about personal empowerment. I am my problem. I like, I, I can change me. If that person is my problem, I cannot change them. I will continually try to control them and I'll continually be frustrated and going in these cycles that are causing me to walk out of the relationship anyways. Yeah. It's well, every counselor we ever went to, the first thing when you sat down in the little office in the couch mm-hmm. is tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your parents. And I mean, for years, it was always the same. That was the intro, right? Mm -hmm. So she got to say, oh, my parents are still happily married. And then they look at me and I'm like, well, my dad was married five times, my mom three. Mm -hmm. And then it was almost like the counselor would literally like shift 
like move in the chair to just hone in on me. Right. And then it was like, well, damn, here we go again. It's all problem. Yeah, exactly. And then it was, you know, unpacking that and, oh, oh, so you have a drinking problem and, oh, you, you know, so when you said that to us for the first time, it was like, oh, there's some ownership involved here of what we do have control over, which is us. And somebody as codependent as, as I was with her, that really starts to unravel that mess of a ball of codependency too. Oh, it really does. It really does. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because blame feels, um, well, first off, blame fuels so much of relational connection for people. You know, it's like blame is just there going, who's the villain of the story. There has to be a good guy and there has to be mm. a bad guy. That's Rather right. than, there's just two human beings that are very messy and each have the capacity to hurt each other and have hurt each other. And a lot of times, um, the idea that like I've caused my, my spouse or my partner pain, uh, feels like all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I've shifted the blame onto myself. Okay. I've caused my, my, my partner pain versus like, yes, I've, perpetuated pain in this relationship and the word and <laughs> I learned this uh uh a while back while I was going through uh counseling for myself where my counselor was like how about we take the word but out of our vocabulary and we put the word and hmm. because but all of a sudden eliminates everything before <laughs> the word whatever but. you said right <laughs> and they were like let's let's institute the word and and so That's um good we can sit down inside of that situation and use the word and by saying I, I i've caused my partner a lot of pain and they've caused me a lot of pain and that that shared ownership um feels scary because that means now i have to look at something inside of me yeah there's some responsibility maybe of in my story that i need to go check out that thus far somebody is that's had as many issues as I have. Totally. It's so easy for someone like Mary, who's led a very clean life. You know what from I mean? And, outside, you're yeah. clearly left up. If you hear the yeah. story, it, clearly Jeremy's a problem and he's effed up. Look at all the terrible, stupid stuff he's done. Which just keeps you in shame. Like it's, there's such a fine line of ownership of being, having the, the childhood that I had, and all the trauma that I've been through is the reason why I feel like I found myself in a bottle, right? To, mm -hmm. to get away from the pain that caused that. But then there's this point of where you have to stop being a victim, right? Yeah. And own your stuff. And at the same time, like have compassion for yourself. Yeah. But it is overshadowing when you're in a relationship with someone who in everybody's mind is like pretty perfect. Totally. The question I always have, it's interesting when I see a couple where someone has this outward disaster that like you write it down on paper and you're like, yeah, this is, this is destructive. This is disastrous. We're all clear that there's a problem here in this person's world. The question becomes the person who looks squeaky clean. Why have they chosen this person? Why does this feel familiar to them? How does this actually, mm. um, how do, how are they perpetuating this cycle? Right? Like somehow something inside of them says they're either worthy of it. They, they like it. They, it feels normal to them. Um, and what are their belief systems? Cause some, something inside of them says, you know, this is right. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a thing for sure. Because. It, and it just keeps the the person like the the case I was in where it was me with the big mountain problems. It just keeps kept me in shame. Oh, completely forever. And then the ownership part of it is what you helped me walk into. And like, how do you validate the person that you've hurt and betrayed their pain and not spiral out in the shame cycle and make it about you? is very hard to do, right? It's super okay. hard to walk that thin line of, I'm so sorry I hurt you. 
I'm a piece of crap and I hate myself and it's all my fault, which is unvalidating to them when you do that because you're essentially falling on your own sword, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, when you turn it into that sense of shame really makes validation about us. It, like it, tur- it turns the, the, the thing on us like, oh, this is about my pain about how bad I've been because I think that I am a bad person. And so it steals the opportunity for someone to be heard or seen or understood. So again, they feel, like you said, invalidated inside of the process. And uh, in the journey of healing, we need to be able to build some uh, something called, we I refer to as shame resilience, which maybe that's hmm. a popular word as well that's out there. I don't know. Um but being able to be like, oh, this isn't about who I am. This is about what I did and how it affected somebody. And that's a gradual process because we have to be able to get in and start loving ourselves in order to build shame resilience. We have to begin to have compassion. Like Abby and I always talk about the idea of um, compassion and empowerment are the two core foundations to everything that we teach within our world, which is like, Hey, I actually see myself and I see the people across from me. And there's an invitation for me to change, for me to take ownership and hold other people accountable through boundaries and, um, and, uh, challenging them and how they're affecting us and communicating that. So it's super necessary in the healing process. So you said the word empowering a couple of times. I think that that's where the fear is, is that if you take ownership of your mess, which then once you have ownership, then you can properly validate someone. Right. Yeah. But there, the, the beautiful thing about it is, is it is very empowering to own your own stuff because then there's this sense of like, Oh, I, I am responsible for this, these actions that I've done or this behavior. And I, I can do something about it now. Where if you're just in victim all the time, you, you're not empowered to do anything well, yeah, about every, it. Yeah. Every time you take ownership, that's part of building shame resilience. Like every time you go, yep, you're right. I did this. It's like chipping away at shame and being like, shut up, shame. I'm actually not bad. I'm just going to, this is just a fact. I did do this. I did participate in these ways. I did have a bunch of um, self-hatred. I did run away from connection. I did avoid facing problems that were inside of me. Like you just keep breaking it down until shame doesn't have a lot of power. And like you said, you end up feeling like, Oh, that weight of shame is gone. And I can do do so much to change my life. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, and I think some, one of the things we kind of wanted to get to today was what happens when you say yes to this journey, right? To this narrow path, when you start changing and you look back at five, 10 years of your life and you've become a different person. Yeah. Than the person that you were when you got married mm-hmm. or the person that you were when you first had kids. And what happens if your spouse is reluctant to join you on the path? Because yeah. I see that creating some issues as as people get healthier and more whole and because of trauma from everybody else's childhood they're like very comfortable with where things are at in their marriage or in their life and they're like uh-uh I'm not going it's too it's too risky the stakes are yeah. too high like if it's not broken don't fix it right like yeah. if your if your marriage or your relationships at 60% 65% which means most of the time it's good um, you have kids and life's going pretty good and you you have intimacy occasionally and things aren't bad. Why would we disrupt this to go for 90%? And that and that's scary. How do you yeah, how do you invite someone into that that journey when they're when they're they're reluctant? Yeah. I think as a side note, um, something that was bouncing around in my head to, to add to this, um, a lot of times we as I watch couples, they vacillate back and forth between who's going to be the one that 
takes the reins and starts to move forward on a healing process. Like there's a lot of times where there's a, there's passivity and you know, the, the marriage, the relationship keeps happening to them rather than them happening to it. And one of the things that I've been pretty strong about is when it comes to these relationships, I always hold men first and foremost accountable um, because I really do believe that men are meant to be the leaders of the house. And I don't mean that in a, in a male domination way um, that's historic where it's like, I am the final say so. And right. I'm like, it, it's, Hey, I'm just leadership is a modeling thing is a servant, a servant based thing of like, Hey, deep within my masculinity, there's something in designed inside of me to rise up and, and serve and love my spouse and my children and to fight for them. Um, and part of that is through me leading an exam, an exemplified life of kindness and love and patience and understanding and facing fears and overcome things inside of myself and, and vulnerably putting that on display. And so for me, first and foremost, um, that's something that I push back really, really hard on with men so that that all of a sudden when a man steps into that space, he goes, okay, I, I'm going to start steering the ship. But like what you're saying is, is what if a guy, especially speaking to men on the situation, because I know women have the, a huge history of this experience, what we're talking about. Yeah. It's usually is, the other way for sure. It's usually the other way. Usually women start to engage the process and they're like, my husband will not put down the beer <laughs> And get up off of his butt and engage this. He's lost over in his hobbies and in his work and whatever. And that's super infuriating and, and feels very powerless for them. And, and I have so much like compassion on that. Um, but you know, what happens when, when, a, when a man starts engaging it and he, and he does take on that challenge and what happens if, if the wife doesn't want to participate in that? Um, it's a really difficult thing. Yeah. I, I feel like that's kind of what happened in our story a little bit is I, I had to, it was life or death for me to take a look at why do I do the things that I do? Mm -hmm. And I had to go on the journey again, cause it was life or death for me. I had to. Mm -hmm. And for Mary, she was like, talk is cheap. And I yeah. think a lot of times men, we have these mountaintop experiences and we come home and we're like, yeah, it's going to be different and it's going to change. And then two weeks later, it's back to the couch and a beer. And you know what I mean? Like just, just hiding back into the same old pattern. And so for Mary, she'd heard all of it before. So from a very safe distance, she had to observe me going on the path over time. And then, cause a lot of it, I think Justin is safety. If back to the men being the leaders of the household, I love when men say, well, it's like the Bible says, you know, we're supposed to be. And I'm like, yeah, but what does he say? Like Christ to his church. And they're like, yeah, the leader. I'm like, what did he do? He laid it all down and died for her. That's the model. That's what we're supposed to do. If you subscribe to the Christian faith is that's what it means. And we've yep. bastardized that scripture Completely. for hundreds of years and made it this male dominant thing. And it's like, no, that's not what Christ did. He laid down his life for yeah. his bride. So but, to me, that's a very important yeah, point in all of this, right? right? Is the sacrifice yeah. of it. And for me, it was getting low and well, staying and there. And you also see that if we were taking that concept of that faith model, like the true heart of it, there's this, there's this thing where Christ was submitting to his father. There was a connection to where his heart was submitted to a higher power that uh, and yeah. a, a father with that had unrelenting love that was like partnering with him. So there was like this humility right inside of even that process of like i'm submitting to something bigger than me and a lot of men like have to break like they only submit to their own 
to their own wants and desires and their own fears versus submitting to a law of love that they bend a knee down to and that mm. they want to hear from. And then they want to turn that relationship towards their, their spouses and their children and figure out how to, how to aim that at them. And that is not, um, that's not for faint of heart to do that process because it requires so many places of dying to selfish behavior and humility. In humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I just, I think for me, when I always encourage guys when they're like, oh, my wife doesn't want to participate in this journey at all. I'm like, I know my wife didn't either. Because I think there's an element of safety to it. If their hearts aren't feeling safe to go on the journey, it's like we have to go establish safety first. And from a safe distance, Mary saw me over three, four, five, six years feel like, okay, I think it's safe because at some point you get healthy and whole enough. It starts exposing, I think, maybe issues that that weren't otherwise available to be seen until you go on this journey and you start getting healthy and whole. And there's some convicting element to this of like, oh man, my wife's really changing. Her behaviors are changing. She doesn't respond to me in the same way. That's like, crap, maybe I need to look at myself. Maybe there's something in me that I always blamed on her. And now the codependency is going away and she doesn't react the same to me any longer. There's really this inward look if your spouse is like kind of leaving you behind in in the same maybe tension and friction that was always there. Mm. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about, but I was thinking about the idea that as we as we begin and anyone begins a journey of wholeness and 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 their partner isn't on that journey, we have to realize that first and foremost, we may have quite a history of destructive lifestyle. And, 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 and so you have, you might have 10, 15, 20 years, just, just within the context of that relationship where there is a very specific narrative of, um, our behavior, our responses. So trust is slowly whittled down over time. And so like you're talking about, you're talking about the safety with Mary, like there's so much trust. It's broken down, rebuilding that trust, like inside the human heart, someone's going, yeah, I see that you're, you're better in these ways seemingly, but it's only going to take a second for that switch to flip. And you're back to doing all this behavior. That's one aspect of, of like, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop on yep. me. My guards come down and then I'm going to get really hurt. I'm going to get pummeled because this isn't real. You're going to relapse into alcohol. You're going to relapse into addictive behavior. You're going to relapse into cheating on me or whatever it happens to be. And so they're going, I have a, I have these guards up for a really good reason in this relationship and maybe a really good reason because of my history of seeing stuff that didn't work out well. So I, I'm needing a really strong person across from me who is committed to their process alone and not forcing me to go along on the journey, especially if they co-created the mess that we're in at this point, you know? Yeah. I, I it's, and it's almost like if, if you've struggled in your marriage, the last person in the world that's going to have any success in talking to your spouse about getting some help. Is it coming from you? Yeah. It's probably going to be that with some great resistance, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I want to add this before I forget it. Yeah. You know, I, I've seen couples where a person goes, goes to apologize and, and is on their personal uh, development journey. And they're like, I'm, I'm apologizing to them. And it doesn't feel like it's making an impact. And, and first off, like a lot of times when we apologize to people, we can't identify like how we've actually impacted them. Right. So 
there, we might sit and be like, I'm really sorry. I know I hurt you, but we can't, we're not knowing, we're not, we don't have language to give specific details of like, Hey, I bet this hurt you when, and this is how this affected you. This was probably scary. This was probably difficult. This probably was exhausting. This probably made you feel really unsafe. Like we oftentimes in our healing process, don't know how to describe how we've affected someone else. So they keep the walls up. Because they're like, you keep saying you're sorry and you seem like you're different, but I don't think you truly understand how you affected me. And if you don't understand how you affected me, we're going to probably end up down this road again. That's their assumption anyways, and I'm going to get hurt again. But if we can actually get into someone else's shoes, and this is the empathy factor, is when we put ourselves in someone else's shoes and can get really good at articulating the many different avenues of how we've affected them, they start going, oh, you get it. You feel the weight of it. I can actually see your grief. Not only that, it's not just shame. I actually see your grief about it because you've been able to articulate how I might have been affected by you. And that might mean that you're really going to uh, be proactive about not wanting to recreate that experience for me. And and that those are some of the reasons that we find that spouses don't jump on board with the whole process right away because again, this is too good to be true. I don't know that you, you're really changing and I need yeah. defenses. It's so good to the point, And I'll jump into our story again. Yeah. The power of this validation that you're talking about of really seeing someone and putting the shoe on their foot, like, I did not know how to do that. So all I could say was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that I lied to you. I'm so sorry, right. all the things. But all I could say was, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't know what else to say. So when we started working with you, yeah. this is what, this is how powerful this is, you guys. Like this is, this is the one thing that's changed our marriage the most. And it pissed me off because. You first off, you know, in church, when you do the repeat after me prayer, I always did not like that. I always hated somebody telling me what to say. Mm -hmm. And I remember like the third time we met with you, you're like, Jeremy, I need you because I couldn't figure out how to validate her heart, what you're talking about. Yeah. And then I, I was just getting resentful for her. I'm like, I've said, I'm sorry. Why can't you forgive me? Totally. I've been doing that for five years. I've said, I'm sorry, 10 trillion times, and it's not moving the needle at all. Totally. And you're like, Jeremy, you need to repeat after me. And immediately I was offended and defensive. And I'm like, this, this bullshit doesn't work. <laughs> because I'm like, Justin, you know, she's on the Zoom call. We're, I'm sitting next to her. She can see you and hear you saying the words that I'm about to repeat to her. Mm -hmm. Dude, the second... I said the first sentence that you told me to repeat of you, mm -hmm. she started weeping. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, her heart had been longing to be seen and heard for so long. The fact that it wasn't even coming from me, but the fact that the, the, the soil was so fertile in those recesses of her heart to hear the words finally that you were saying, and I was repeating after you and saying to her, was it? That was yeah, the model. Her heart was screaming. Yep. Her heart was screaming. I need to hear that you see me in these areas. And even though I was, you know, instigating the language, like, cause I, cause I, you know, I could tell that you truly were sorry. And like a confusion for her unconsciously is I know he's sorry, but what is he sorry for? Exactly. And so she already somewhere inside of her knew that you had an emotional repentance, but couldn't put, bring her walls down until you could articulate it. And she's just going, I'm hearing someone articulate how I was affected by these behaviors. And that's, that starts becoming the game changer for someone. And that's part of even proactive ownership. Like when people start going on the healing journey, um, I don't know that a lot of them are proactively sitting down and saying, Hey, can I begin to tell you about how I think I have impacted you inside of this relationship? So I'll see guys who have started the, this process, trying to get healing 
and they don't go sit down and do that. And I've seen women, especially this is interesting because I see a lot of women, especially because we said a lot of women start the journey where men don't do it. Women start this journey, they're getting healing and they, they still have this idea in the back of their head that their, their husband's their problem somewhere like as they're they're working on themselves but still they're like yeah he did all these things instead of the 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 the, the wife the, if the woman wants the guy to get changed she needs to sit down and be like you know what i spent years badgering you when i was really scared i felt really scared mm. about um you not um showing up well and i mean there's i get there's reason for pain but i have all these reactions of control in my way to navigate my pain and my fear. I have aggressive moments that I come after you with. Oftentimes I've judged you. I can take ownership for how I've shown up in this. Now guy could create a whole bunch of chaos, but if she's wanting to, an invitation for him to start this, she has to lay down again, spear and be like, Hey, I just know that I've showed up in these ways and I bet it's impacted you in these ways. And a guy goes, Oh, <laughs> did my wife <laughs> I, the guy that's sitting there with a beer in his hand and doing yeah. like the classic behavior and in the middle of that she's like i want you to know that i've probably really hurt you in these ways and he's like I, am i about to get like run over by a truck somehow <laughs> like yeah. she's plotting my Come death on. what's happening um and and it works vice versa right like that ownership starts leaving major impact and it becomes the invitation. That's it. And, and, and that's where you're getting to because Mary all of a sudden has an invitation on the table um, as you're going like, hey, I'm doing these things and I'm hurting you. What do you think about what, what are your thoughts on that? That's it's I think it's the most single powerful thing that changed our marriage. Mm -hmm. And, and we're talking about leadership, right? About yeah. somebody has got to go first. Yeah. That's why I think humility is such an important factor in this Yeah, because until you can humble yourself yeah, to say, you know what? Everything inside of me wants it to be somebody else's fault. Yeah. But it's back to the empowerment thing, right? Of owning our own crap and go first. That's what I tell guys. Go first. Yeah. But it's mostly, I don't care, go first. That's the model. That's what that's what we're supposed to do is it is the invitation, like you said, to especially if it's a situation where maybe you're not mostly wrong. Yeah. Maybe it's a circumstance where you're like 20% in the wrong and maybe they're 80%. Yeah. Go first. Go clean up your 20%. Yeah. And just see what happens. Also, that leads us into expectation, though, because I've I've told people this story and what you've oh, taught, taught me. And they're like, I went home and validated her for <laughs> something from five years ago, and she still won't have sex with me. And I'm like, Judas Priest, you're missing the whole point. <laughs> what if it takes six months? Are you in? Like, men, we've got to stand up. Six, six years. Are you what in? If it, yeah. What if it takes a year? What if it takes three years of you continually being the leader? We we want the accolade of being the leader and we want to lay down the law, but we don't want to do any of the work to become the leader of our wife's heart. We want to be this like dominant leader, like what I say goes. And what what we want is is to be the leader of our wife's hearts. And that involves trust and that involves time. And and you said it earlier, like, it's amazing how trust can be gone. It's like if you have a million dollars and you go play blackjack and you put it all in one hand, it can be gone like that. Yep. Yep. You're like, wait, it took me a lifetime to collect this trust and have this equity. Yep. And in six months, it can be destroyed. And that Absolutely. takes time to come back. And it takes – I am I still try to practice thinking of things that – I did in my really broken season that how that could have affected my wife. And then I go back and validate it. And it just creates more equity with me and our um, being connected and her trusting me and feeling safe with me. So it's, it's everything. It's everything. I think, I think that there's an aspect. How do I put this? There's an aspect of where we need to die 
to our desire for the person across from us to change. Oh yeah. That's really good. Where our true, like at the deepest core part of ourself, our conversation becomes who do I want to be? And how do I want to show up to life? Like our only concern becomes about uh, our wellness that we are letting go because a lot of guys, like, like you said, they go to that situation, like I validated her and she's told me to go pound sand and she's not changing. Well, it sounds like you validated her to manipulate her to get, Oh, there we go. Right. Just stay right there for a minute. Talk about that. I've done that. The intention of, I want to engage this so that I can yield sex or I can yield, uh, my way your, yeah. To get my way. Yeah. My way. And so that, that being honest with like, why am I engaging this journey? Is it truly because like, if we're just solely talking about men, let's just like put our focus intent there. If a man's showing up to that, is it because like, no, I want to learn how to lead well. I want to learn how to love well. I want to learn how to be a good husband, a good father. Um, like, and, 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 and a human being that like exemplifies certain characteristics. Like, are we dreaming about who we're becoming and how the world is experiencing us? And is that our core value? Or is it, I want to see what the world will give me back if I do this stuff. And and if you're in that mindset, you'll know you're in it because you're constantly being frustrated with people and um, why they're not yielding something back to you. Yeah, that's so important because if if we don't, it just is manipulation. We're just trying a different loophole to get yeah. what we want. Really different approach. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it seems more noble. But that's oh, why sure. that's why it is important to manage expectation in this area because if you're doing it for the right reason, you're not going to be bummed out if there's and, and this is what I've been telling guys too, like why are you so bummed out about how that conversation went? What were your expectations going into it? Mm-hmm. Well, I thought that whatever. No, you need to go into it. And if if what you're saying and validating is enough on its own, you don't need anything back from it. You don't need a big response because if any, if women are like my wife, it's like she needs to soak on things. She, she needs to process, she needs to work it through and see how it lands. And also our wives get very good at detecting our bullshit and they can tell if we're doing it for the right reasons, because if we don't get what we want out of this validation or showing up to them and being vulnerable first, we'll react to them. We'll punish them. We'll passive aggressively punish them for the next week. And they know it. They they know that hey, he didn't get what he wanted out of that, and he's punishing. It's cl- oh, he's it's clear that he's punishing me for it now. So you're going backwards. But if you can show up a hundred percent and speak to your wife's heart and validate her pain, and even say, "I don't need anything back from you in this," because you went into it knowing, here's my expectation: nothing. I'm going to say this, whether it moves the needle or not, and you do that over time, that's where I think that you will start to see a softening in your wife's heart towards you in whatever way she feels safe to do so. But that's the fruit. Absolutely. And I think that, like, again, going back to the concept of love, like, my concern has to become, here's a human being that has been impacted by my behavior, whether it's an outward behavior or it's an inward pulling away avoidance, whatever, there is another human being that I've impacted. And when that becomes something that matters to me and cleaning up the messes that I've made and, and, and seeing repair for the impact that I've left, I I cannot fix that person, but I sure can participate in a, in, in a repair process by this, you know, um, taking ownership. Right. And if it, if it's like, 
it might take someone across from me 10 years to heal. But if it's truly about them, if it's truly about loving someone else, and it's truly about me just growing as a person, I go, that's fine. You have all the permission in the world to take the next 10 years to, to heal from what I've done inside of that process. I'm going to sit here and continue to develop inside of my world. One of the things is, though, that oftentimes, again, speaking back into the masculine soul, is men rarely have outlets to get nurture and love and care and comfort outside of their wives. Yep. Their significant others. So they let guards down for this one person. So they're desperate for this person to turn love back towards them because they're like, I'm running on empty because they don't facilitate intimacy with themselves first and foremost. So as you go on a healing process, you start learning how to love yourself, comfort yourself, care for yourself, see your own story instead of ignore it, right? So something starts healing there. And then the other portion is, is that oftentimes they don't do is they don't have those intimate masculine relationships where you actually have the comfort of brother figures who step into relationship and say, Hey, I see you. I love you. I'm here for you to cry. I'm here for you to get angry. And we don't foster that, which is something that I love that you've been doing with wild courage is that you're constantly fostering those masculine relationships where you can, where you can go, I actually am not running on empty. If my wife does not know how to show up with me in this process right now, because I have camaraderie with men who are in the um, trenches with me, uh, exchanging actual care, actual love and understanding. That's so good. And and that is what we're seeing um, at Wild Courage is guys being seen and heard mm-hmm. by their peers. And it takes a lot of pressure off their wives. Yeah. Because of what you just said. One of the other things, Justin, that I've noticed in the work that I'm doing individually with men is men coming in frustrated, upset, like angry, like my wife just doesn't get it or see it. The the one way I've found to expedite this whole thing Mm -hmm. is really compassion. Yeah. And uh, time after time, and I know you've seen this because you've been doing this forever, but I'll just, this is how important story is is tell me about your wife. Tell me about her childhood. Tell me about, tell me about the yeah. areas in which she f- struggles. I'm not kidding you. And again, I know you know this, but this same guy that's been sitting here and is frustrated and has a hard heart towards his wife, the second that I can help him find compassion for his wife, not one time are they not weeping over theories and their wife that they find compassion for. And once that happens, it's like something can open up inside of us. Once we get to a place in our wife's story where we can find compassion that we also is the door to, um, is the door to humility. It's like, Oh, then, then we get into like, there's something inside of us wakes up and is like, no, I need to go contend for her heart because of her story. And maybe I understand better why she shows up the way she does. That's She's been, been hurt. Yeah. I, I mean, that's been foundational for me and Abby. The more like I tell her this, like sometimes I find pictures of her as a little girl. Mm, come on. And I look at them and a, a swell of emotions comes up. I see the preciousness of her innocence. And then I connect with her story of a childhood where her mom was a hoarder in a, a drug addict, like a prescription drug addict that wasn't like talked about. It wasn't even like, oh, my mom's a drug addict. It was just like she was on prescription drugs and, and checked out for a good portion of her life. And I start putting together all the pieces of the war between her parents. And I put together like that she was an only child and she was felt so abandoned. And, and like, I, I, I put all these pieces together and I'll find myself just crying and being like, Oh, and then here's also the impact that I brought to her. Of course, she, she has acted these ways. And I understand my story, right? We're talking about our stories. I'm holding the truth and tension of her childhood story and my story. And I'm going like, 
all of a sudden I'm thinking about how these two stories are colliding the survival skills and stuff. And I'm crying over her and I'm going, okay, she makes a lot of sense. Oh my gosh. Of course that she's responded this way to me. And of course I'm scared because of these reasons. And I want to see her be loved and I want to see her be healed. But it's like you said, getting into that story, that story humanizes ourselves. And here's the thing. It humanizes mm, us. Good humanizes them, um, is that oftentimes people are in such denial about their story that they won't share it authentically. They're like, no, I had a good childhood. No, my parents are great. They won't be honest with the good and the bad. You know, the, the like it's, it's that Attention. black and white. Yeah. It's a black and white thing of either my family was good or they're bad, but we can't have the nuance of like, there was beauty and there was pain inside of it. And so when we ourselves, like a spouse, say a wife denies the reality of the difficulties of her past, whether it's with her, her, her parents, her siblings, her, her growing up in school, whatever it is, when they deny those boyfriend from high school, mm-hmm, right? Past relationships. When, when those things are denied and the, the story isn't authentically told, there's not anything to anchor to for compassion's oh, sake. So good. So it's like, okay, so you had a great childhood. Everything was just perfect. Well, then you're just apparently an asshole and I don't have a capacity for compassion for you. And so I think that like even going back to wild courage, beginning with men being able to share their own story right? Get connected to their own story and then realize the impact of their story and how that impact it's had on them and being able to go, oh, I need to humanize each individual and in, in especially my spouse or my significant other and be able to get in and figure out their story so that I can have compassion on them. And it changes the entire dynamics. Love starts to abound. It starts to be like, I want to serve this person. Um, I don't want to just be at war with this person. This person isn't just an asshole. They're actually in survival instincts and self-protection mechanisms because they're so scared and they feel so broken on so many levels and they don't know how to look at it authentically. So when you get a guy who's on a healing path journey and he's like, well, she's not changing and she's not following me. It's oftentimes like he has yet to truly connect to the reality of her story um, to be able to actually hit that spot of understanding where he goes, of course, she doesn't respond right now. Of course, she has her guards That's up. It. Of course, it's going to take her a long time. She has 25, 30 years of history, maybe just in her own life. And then you add our relationship to it that says, this isn't safe. This isn't um this isn't a place where I want to let my guards down. This isn't a place where I want to change. Like all of a sudden story brings context. Yeah, that's so good. That's so powerful. And for that guy that's sitting there and like, I don't feel any of that towards my wife. It's because you can't give away what you don't have. Right. You haven't connected to the depth. That's why you have to go into your own story. That's why we're finding what, you know, what's working at Wild Courage around a fire is just making space for guys to share their story and to find self-compassion. Yeah. And We've seen the some of the roughest guys, sharp edges, come into this space and over time find compassion for themselves in their own story. There's no way it's not changing their marriages because they can't find compassion for them. If they can't find compassion for themselves, it's really hard to find it for your spouse that maybe for a little while you can muster it up, right? You can... You can manage, you can work up some, some compassion for your wife, but for it to, what I found for it to last, it's, you've got to have it to give it away. You've got to go into your own story and be honest with yourself. Like you're talking about with your growing up yeah, and be like, yeah, that did kind of suck. And wow, no wonder I am the way that I am. Like forever men, we just go through life thinking, I'm just messed up. I hear it all the time. I'm just messed up. Like you yeah. don't even want to, you, you don't even want to know my story. I, it's, it's too much. Yeah. And that's the belief system that they have over themselves where it's like, no, your story matters and it's important. Mm-hmm. And we, I, I see it happen. All the guys here on the fire. And, well, this happened. And that, and then all of a sudden they're like, you can see it dawn on them. Like, oh yeah, that wasn't really fair. 
I didn't really get a fair shake at this thing from the get-go because of my circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. And you see compassion starts finding its way inside of them. And that edge starts getting softened a little bit. Mm -hmm. And now that guy is like working his ass off on his marriage because Mm -hmm. he's got all this newfound compassion for himself. And it's like this commodity that if you have it to the extent where it's overflowing, you just want to give it away. Yeah. You're, you're like, people talk to me about road rage and I'm like, they're like, I don't know why I get so angry. And I'm like, it's because you don't have compassion for yourself. What? That doesn't even make sense. That's not even, that's not even a thing. Mm-hmm. How could you say that? I'm pissed off because people are moving here from Southern California and they don't know how to drive. And they're, you know what I mean? It's like, no, that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> totally. It's like, I you're a, just angry. <laughs> I had a thought while you're talking. And I think that this might be helpful for guys who are engaging a healing journey. Um just talking to that 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 side of the coin there is really nothing more terrifying than a man who was disconnected from his emotions from the get-go in a relationship uh there's nothing more terrifying than a man who's done that and who suddenly decides that he's going to connect to himself and this is why because when I talk to couples, when I, when I talk about, I am my own problem, right? Like I'm sitting down with someone like Mary and I'm going like, well, why would you choose someone who's so disconnected from himself? Hmm. Like, why is it possible that you're actually terrified of intimacy and it feels safe actually to find someone that's not connected to themselves and you Whoa. don't have, then you don't have wow. to actually, and you can, you can complain and blame the whole time. Like he's not connected to himself and you can finger point. But the truth is he felt really safe because at the end of the day, he wouldn't actually get connected enough to himself to want to really know you. And you're terrified of actually having to see something within you. And so what you have is these guys where these women are like, he's never changed. He's always been the same thing. But when the guy actually begins to do it, they're freaking out because they're like, Oh, my husband is connected. Now I can't blame him and finger. He's the problem. I have to suddenly get connected to all the painful stuff that I've been avoiding. And I've acted like just non-relational, but that non-relational behavior was actually something that, that suited me really well. And I've had to actually get women to, uh, to take ownership for that and be like, you know what? The truth is you're right. I'm no different than him. I've just used him as my scapegoat for all the things inside of me that I don't want to have to face from a childhood that, neglect with my dad and all kinds of stuff. Oh, that's a bomb, dude. It is. That makes my, my, that blew my mind. Yeah. That is so freaking true. Yeah. I, my immediately, I'm just thinking of all these conversations for years with, with people. I'm like, that just summed it all up. Wow. Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense. And then, and then, and then there's this like self-righteousness involved in it of like, you, it always gets to be their fault forever. Yep. So you get to elevate. And and I would even say that this is most likely subconscious, right? Oh yeah. I don't think women set out to like marry a bum. This is complete. They don't even know it. Yeah, this is completely subconscious. You okay, end up that's you, finding yourself into this relational thing that you're just like, but, but but when you get down deep into the psyche, you ask all the questions and, and you go deep into it. They're like, oh yeah, I never have to look at myself inside of that. I don't. Wow. He's not. I can hide right here. I can hide. The, my whole life. I can hide in plain sight behind the fact that this person isn't connected to themselves and I can finger point on that. And and again, and the more messed up the guy is the better or the spouse. I mean, we're talking about men, so it can, you're, you, you clarified, we're talking about this side of the coin, but especially, you know, guys like me who've, you know, had a lot of addiction and a lot of brokenness and a lot of sexual abuse issues. It's, man, you can really see how that could play out. And like somebody that 
wasn't attached to their own emotions could be attracted to that guy because then you always get to be you have the savior complex yeah that also feels yes. good like yes man i've been through a lot with this guy yeah. like i just keep showing up for him and all of his crap in, in- because this makes so much sense why else we all know those people we all have friends are like why in the world is she staying with him totally it's not for him. It's for her. <laughs> because right? if you brought a heart connected guy to her doorstep, she would crap her pants. <laughs> she wouldn't want anything to do with him. No attraction. Damn, dude. None. None. That is crazy. That's, that's why good you know, women obviously seemingly. Wow. Yep. And, and, and obviously there's nuance to other portions of why we sure. participate and there's outliers to that whole thing. But when we're generally speaking and you see these dynamics again, so when you got guys who are like, dude, I'm showing up and I, and, and they generally are, they're, they're applying principles, they're healing in their process and they're confused at why their spouse isn't joining them. There's also the aspect of you are now terrifying. You are the most terrifying person in the room to them because especially if you keep holding the the uh, line in how you're choosing to do life, they're losing a scapegoat all of a sudden. They cannot finger point whatsoever. And they're left like, I am my own problem. Oh shit. What is it that I've been avoiding is there, so much? Is there... Is there there's safety and predictability, right? Agreed? Yeah, I agree that there's a sense so of we can build all if, kinds of stuff around uh, predictability, right? Self-protection yeah, if, structures and everything. Yeah, if my husband predictably is an asshole, <laughs> I know what to do with him. And if he exactly. shows up outside of being an asshole, man, the stakes go up. Yes. Right? The, the, the risks gets higher totally. of like, I don't know who's going to walk through the door. I knew for 15 years who would walk through the door and I knew how to he handle that guy. I knew where to put what he did, what he said, how he treated me. I've grown accustomed to dealing with it. And now this guy's walking through the door and he's so unfreaking predictable with all this totally. heart talk and connection that it makes me not feel safe. Exactly. Because I can't predict. I don't know who's going to walk through Mm-mm. the door. Mm-mm. Wow, dude. Mm-mm. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. And, and that going back to, go ahead. Yeah. I would just say that for that guy that's, that's, this resonates with, I'm already, I would start finding compassion for my wife. This is an invitation to compassion for her understanding. Like, well, no wonder she's yeah. not. I walk in the door and her clothes fall off. She's pulling back from me. It's because she doesn't feel safe because she's, this isn't, this isn't who I've been for so long. And now I walk in the door and she doesn't know where to put me anymore. That just lends itself to compassion, right? Like, Oh, I understand now I'm going to change my expectation of what I need out of this. And I'm going to double down on doing it for the right reasons. Yes. And also, as we were talking about before, the blanket of my mess is now being pulled away, revealing her nakedness. So Mm -hmm. again, the more I get healed, the more that blanket of my mess no longer can cover up her own messiness. So now exposure is beginning to happen because when you are staying stable, you are staying kind, you are staying gentle, and she's freaking the F out on a situation or she She's doing behavior that that is seemingly irate, distant, disconnective. She's going, whoa, he's still connective. I'm so exposed. My mess is so exposed. Come on. And now her shame starts hitting. How am I so effed up? My husband's so loving. He's so kind. He's making all this progress. Look at all these things that I keep doing. Why is this still here? Now, now all of a sudden, uh, sudden, even if it's unconscious and it's not aware, shame starts coming up over it because she's looking authentically at her. Her role inside of the relationship, especially if we're a, a ship that has a, a, a steady direction that we've set and we're not mo- moving from that course. Come on. That is gold, man. And again, just more invitation to let I, to let your wife off the hook. Yeah. With, totally. with the expectations that you carry. And what a beautiful spot to go and validate your wife. What a, what a opportunity to go and be like, Hey, look, I know that I'm going through some changes and I'm looking at things differently now. 
And I'm sorry if this is scary for you. I'm sure yeah. that this is very unsettling for you, not knowing what emotion emotional guy is going to walk in the door. I'm going to do my best to minimize the impact that this has on you and the and the kids or whatever the situation is. And I don't I don't need you to respond any differently. You're you're free to go on your journey and and respond to this how you need to. And if yeah. that looks like you being protective for a little while as I figure out my course, that's okay. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm not going to be disappointed or bummed out in you if you don't respond to me in the way that I initially thought you would when I started on this journey. Like that would I think make her feel a lot safer than just being all over the place with yep. these experiences emotionally, right? Yep. A thousand percent. That's great. That's great. And I think that something that um, people in relationship, whether it's friendships or it's romantic relationships, I think if we keep in mind in the back of our head that throughout our lifetimes, there are different, I, I've heard different thoughts on this kind of statistic, but there's an average of if you're around somebody over the course of an entire lifetime, you may know three different people in that one person as yep. an average three, maybe four, maybe five in our evolutionary growth. And so understanding like there, there's a journey of development. We are always going to be changing, maybe not for the good at times. Maybe it seems for, for the more destructive and messy at times, but there is an evolution throughout life. There are ebbs and flows and it's easy to feel shocked by change. But if we can go, oh no, part of life is that there is change, there is development. And how do I, how do I, um, begin to learn this new person, especially if it's on a healing journey, like, okay, there's a new person. How do I learn how to be adaptable to a new person and release my old belief systems about the previous person? Cause a lot of things that come to the table is say, whether it's a man or a woman, but someone goes on their journey of healing, we still have in the back of our mind, the, the previous person that we did relationship with, and we're still, uh, perceiving and responding and are reacting to the old person versus like, no, this is someone that's solidly set a uh, change in motion. They're a new person. I need to now learn this new person and how they're showing up to it as much as there's aspects of me that are developing that they're going to have to learn about me. That's totally different from when we began this story together. Yeah. That's, that's such a good book into this conversation, yeah. bro, because I know that there's been times where I've felt frustrated because I've changed so much in the last decade. Yeah. That I feel like, wait, I'm not that guy anymore yeah. with friends and my wife. And mm -hmm. that's why the back end of this conversation is so important is, and I think the message is grace, right? Like understanding the evolution of, of, of this journey and other people and like, oh, wait, I was, I was convinced that they were going to react this way. And I was expecting them to, and they didn't. And I'm holding them accountable for someone they used to be. Yeah. They're not that person anymore. Yeah, and so exactly. I want to go into this with so much grace that like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's not who they are anymore. And I'm not going to show up for them that way. So on the flip side of the coin of somebody who's going through a lot of change, I think it is important to have grace for them and be like, you know what? I'm going to have some faith that they are becoming the man or woman that they've set out on the course to be. Yeah. And I'm not going to hold them accountable as much for who they used to be when the new version of them shows up. Yes. Because mm -hmm. that can be really hard to continually be like, I'm not that guy anymore. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not behaving that way anymore. And that can be hard. That's all part of the journey, but man, bro, what a great conversation. I feel like there is so many, Oh, nuggets in there. Super good. I think the last thing that I just want to add to that is realizing that we're each on separate journeys of life. And it took us an amalgamation of years to get where we're at if we're personally engaging a healing process journey. And there was grace for us to make a whole ton of messes to even get to this point. And there's no reason that we should put a demand on someone else because they're in their own unique journey of life. And we need to go, Hey, I had the grace to when I arrived here, I'm going to let them go on the journey of having the grace, um, 
for when they need to arrive here. And I get it. There's people in the background listening to a story like this, but what if this person's horrible, blah, blah, blah. Well, we're not having that conversation about like, maybe this is a relationship that needs to be terminated. We're talking about just like, how am I managing me? How am I my own problem? What does it look like in a relationship when one person is beginning to be active and the other one isn't? And how do we show up and how do we give grace and compassion for them when they don't know how to further engage with us at this crossroads? And just, yep. Yeah. Okay. So good. I oh. think the further you go on the journey and the more you learn these tools of compassion and validation, mm-hmm. that sense of urgency of like, they're not coming, they're not coming. It's like, yeah. Really, if you're feeling that way, you haven't done enough um, codependency work <laughs> or you would be like, they're on their own path, like you said, and, and it's okay. It's uh-huh. okay in a marriage if one's going this way and one's going that way, as long as you're coming back together and connecting as a family in the, in the family unit in the way that it's supposed to operate, it's Okay. Because in the same time, we're saying, don't make this about you, but you have to make it about you. Totally. Like there's all these silver linings in all of this. Yeah. So, but man, what a great conversation. Thank you for bringing a lifetime of your story and putting language to it so well that makes it so easy for for us to understand and for just being you, man, and, and the journey you've been on. It's like, it's incredible the wisdom that you have. And thank you so much for sharing it with us. Yeah. And thank you for, for being vulnerable with your story, man. And, and, and sharing it here in this space with us as well, because you're like bringing your, your tail with you and Mary to the, to the table is like a really huge thing. And you're consistently being willing to tell on yourself. And I think that that's one of the greatest things we can do is learn how to tell on ourselves. And, um, that's where a lot of healing takes place. So well, yeah, I think it's easier to listen to somebody that's been through stuff than somebody that read about it in a book, right? And I think that's <laughs> totally. the authenticity that hopefully we're bringing to the table in these conversations is, I know this because I've been through it. Yeah. And you can do it too. You have it in you, right? That's the message exactly. to anyone listening to this is it's a worthy, noble journey and you have what it takes. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. Anyways. Well, hey, I love you, man. It's good hanging out. Love you, bro. Thanks so much. You bet. Talk to you again soon. Later. Adios.